This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, we all know there's a shortage of workers for mostly all businesses in all industries because of the great resignation. Now, as a shop owner, how are you attracting the best technicians? Are you promoting your culture and the opportunity to work in your business? Wouldn't it be nice to know what's important to technicians? Now, what are they looking for in a shop? And do you offer it? From the Aftermarket Radio Network, Carm Capriato here. Now, Jimmy Aloria and Jason Stretcher here, and they discuss the results of a recent technician survey that just may surprise you and how the value of the survey shapes the ads that they write to attract superstars. Hey, thanks to our partner, Napa, for providing this episode. Want to solve the technician shortage? Well, Napa Auto Care is there for you. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. Learn more. Members can visit member.autocare.com. Good to have you here. Jimmy Aloria is with us, 3A Automotive Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, man. Hey, how you doing, sir? So glad to have you here, Jimmy. Thanks for coming on again. And you brought with you Jason Stretch from Legendary Automotive and Truck Service, Fort Myers, FLA, Florida. Sunny every day except for today. What the hell happened? It's rainy season. Can't be in Florida. Yep. But it's only for like a couple hours every day. So I love that weather phenomenon, you know, just get through it and love the rest of the day. But it rains sideways. It rains sideways here. So because when the hurricanes come, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here to talk about a technician survey, Jimmy. And it came up when you and Rachel were on. We were talking about a customer survey. And off to the side, you were saying, Hey, Carm, I've turned this thing into a technician survey and you have no idea what we found out. And I think he was talking about uh, Jimmy and Jason. So that's why you're both here. We think all the time, is it culture, training, environment, being appreciated? Is it career pathing? You know, is it pay plans? And all those things roll through my head. We write an ad and we hope we covered one of those things. And then we sit down with the candidate and we're trying to think what's the buzzword to make this person really connect, you know? And you guys said, hell with that. Let's find out for real. (laughs) And the thing that I'm so curious about, guys, and I know we want to get into this great detail. They brought so much incredible information. So please don't go anywhere. And if you can't listen to this thing all in one big listen, then break it up. How did you get it done? I mean, to me, oh, I've got this great survey, but how do I get technicians to do this? You know, we've been trained on surveys and that was the what we shared with you before about the customer survey and obviously the hot topic of the industry is where do you find techs? Jason and I and another shop owner, Mike, we were talking and, you know, it's like, why aren't these ads pulling? What is wrong with these ads? And it goes back to like when you're using a marketing piece and you go, why isn't my marketing working? And there's people say, well, marketing doesn't work anymore. Marketing works. It always works. It works if you're communicating to the right people. And you're saying the right things to the right people. And so the only way that you know that is by, we know, by survey. So Jason and uh, Mike and I got together and we spent quite a bit of time going, okay, we need to get into the technician's head and find out what they're thinking. So that started this process and we did it. It took us about, what do you think, Jason, about a week to come up with the questions. We were going back and forth, playing with different questions and things like that. Yeah. And the phrasing of the questions has to be, you know, very exact. You know, we're looking to, you know, really elicit that, 
you know, emotional response to get that real answer. It was actually a pretty long survey. Jimmy, when you say long, how many questions? Yeah, it was, it was 20 questions. And so it was going to take some time and then you got to get it in front of the technicians. How many people can get in front of, you know, over 50 technicians or more. And uh, so we were brainstorming and came up with the idea on utilizing the tool trucks and the trainers because they're the ones that talk to the technicians all the time. Brilliant idea. I was going to suggest that you go to a car show. You set up a little booth and somebody walks by that looks totally motorhead and say, hey, are you a professional technician? And and then you have a tablet, a couple of three or four tablets, right? Or a QR code or something. And you see if you can get them to take that survey off in the corner somewhere. But did you try that? We did use the QR code. Okay. That's a cool idea. Yeah. So what we did was, and each of us did a little bit differently, but the, basically the same concept. And Carm, this is another one that Jason and I are totally willing to share this whole program with any of the listeners that you want. We'll share what we did with our survey. We'll share the whole program on how we got it administered because it's it's very important that this is done geographically. It's done in your area because there's certain questions that will be different geographically. Okay. So what we did was we created postcards. And with the QR code, we went to the tool guys. I went to my Snap-on guy. Jason went to a couple of different people. He went to a trainer, his Snap-on guy, another tool guy. And we went to him and said, look, I'm going to buy $1,500 in gift cards from your truck. We're going to give these away to one. And I think mine ended up being like one in 10 would win a gift card of $200 or $100. That's what they did. They said, okay, fill this out and you get a chance to win this, this gift card on the truck. And they scanned the QR code and it took them to a Google Drive survey, just like we did with the customer survey. I was actually surprised at how willing the techs were to actually fill it out. How many came back? I was definitely surprised, you know. How many did you get, Jason? Well, it seemed like mission impossible, right? I got 67 67 replies. Um, I think we handed out over 200 cards. I handed the Snap-on guy a stack, a couple hundred, of a couple hundred postcards. Jason got his done really fast. It took me about three weeks to get them all done. To get a good sample, you need at least thirty-five to fifty surveys. You know what I mean? So we were shooting for fifty each. That'll give you a pretty good sample. That way, you know, you can start bundling these answers, and you can kind of get the majority answer of what people are looking for. And in marketing, you call that a button. It's like you're pushing their buttons. And that obviously is what you said. Is my marketing to find the tech resonating with the proper words? Who knows? Is it is it about money or is it about opportunity? And what did you find out? We all think as shop owners or people recruiting technicians, you know, oh, well, it's what's in our mind. But once you actually find out and you get all these answers and put them together, so... Their number one goal in my area was to increase their skills or ability. And that was 47% in taking their, taking their job. What motivated the technician to choose the shop that they're at now? 20%, the highest response was reputation of that shop. And the second was 16%. And that was the environment of the workplace. You know, so it was really interesting. You think money, 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 benefits. Benefits did come up. Those were ones that really stood out. Yep. And same with me. Guys, did you find out that the pay was commensurate in what they wanted to earn based on their willingness to train and learn new things? One of the questions that we wanted to know was how much did they want to make? 
And of course, you're going to get different answers on that. We were looking for a majority. But then we got to the question, okay, to make that kind of money that a technician should be making, what should that technician be able to do? And overwhelming, it was like checking every box. They should be able to do everything. They should be able to do advanced computer diagnostics. They should be able to do testing. They should be able to do timing belts. They should be able to do oil changes, brakes, all the regular stuff. So what I got was that, in the, at least in the survey, the technicians that were you know, feeling that they should make $60,000, $120,000 a year, that they should have the skill set that goes along with getting paid that money. I think that you know we we can get a little antagonistic because of a small minority of the technicians in this field, right? That come in and expect a bunch of money and can't do what we need them to do. But the truth is, is that that isn't the majority. The majority are they do feel like that they need it, but we also found that they want the training. That was one of the survey questions. Do you want the training? Yes. I just heard what you said, and I wrote down "learn to earn." Yeah. But here's an interesting one on that on that one. So we gave them a choice of what kind of training do you like? Online, virtual, live, right? Recorded. And overwhelmingly, it was all of us. We did these shops pretty much all over the country. We got it Idaho, Arizona. There was one done in North Carolina and there was one in Jason's in, in Florida. And overwhelmingly, live in-person training, overwhelming. And 77% and on my survey was live. Yeah, I'll have to look and see what mine was. But uh, the the other one was mentorships. And that That's was only seventeen percent. So overwhelmingly, it's like they want this live in person training. Yeah, mine was live in person was seventy seventy four percent, and personal mentorships. Jason, this is interesting. How why it's geographically important. Yeah. 85%. Yeah. Whoa. I got that in front of me. In shop or personal memberships. Yeah. Uh, mentorships. So, you know, that is a huge selling point for Jason. I'm, I'm sure he's going to tell you about what he's taken this survey and done to the whole next level. But, you know, it's a huge selling point for us to bring somebody in is that we're dedicated to the training. We'll pay for any training that you want to do. And we have a mentorship set up with a trainer. They meet every Wednesday, like tonight, I think they're set up to, they have an hour training after the day is over and they get on our, a Zoom call and they go over Pico training. But they also have that guy, a phone call away or an email away or a text away. They have that much, you know, that direct of a line to this guy that they can say, hey, I'm running into trouble. Can you give me some guidance? This is what I've done. Guys, it seems to be a trend, what you just described. You know, the what the survey did... Uh... Is remarkable because all of a sudden not knowing and thinking, you know, and, you know, all the stuff we hear in our industry about, oh, you can't find technicians or, you know, and the agreement about all these things. And then to find out after doing the survey that a majority of everything we thought to be true is wrong. It's an experience to be had, you know, but um, once you start applying what's learned from the survey, not only in hiring and recruiting, but in your shop. You know, putting the training programs in place, making sure the environment matches what these guys are looking for, really caring enough to create what they do need and want so that you can be attractive and something that's interesting to these people. You know, as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops and vehicle owners are increasingly locked out from accessing vital repair data. But who owns the data? The vehicle owner or the manufacturer? When it comes to vehicle repair, the fight to secure data access for vehicle owners and their chosen independent repair facilities continue. 
U.S. Representative Bobby L. Rush introduced the Right to Equitable and Professional Auto Industry Repair, acronym REPAIR, R-E-P-A-I-R Act, to the U.S. House on February 3, 2022. The bill is aimed at giving small, independent repair shops the same kind of data access that licensed vehicle dealerships already receive. Americans should not be forced to bring their cars to more costly and inconvenient dealerships for repairs when independent auto repair shops are often cheaper and far more accessible, said Rep. Rush. But as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops are increasingly locked out. The right to repair legislation should protect a pro-consumer and competitive motor vehicle repair market, provide independent repair shops with the rights to critical information, tools, and equipment needed to repair modern cars and trucks. The right to repair legislation should task the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration with developing cybersecurity standards and guidelines to protect vehicle data and systems when repair and maintenance data is accessed by vehicle owners. Please join the fight and help support Right to Repair by completing the form at www.autoadvocacy.org NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to Repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive heavy-duty paint and body industries. AutoCareAdvocacy.org NAPA. One of the questions, Jimmy, that you sent me describes some of the things that would make up your ideal shop environment and 41% together, good equipment, good environment and helping each other. Wow. That stuff, you know, it's on the list somewhere, but you didn't think it would rate that high. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, we really push in in our ads is that, you know, you're looking for a team environment where you're not alone. We're really overt about the fact that I don't I don't want the guy who's just worried about themselves. In fact, in my ad, it says that. I don't want the guy who's just worried about himself. I actually would prefer that that guy doesn't apply, even though he might be the best tech in the state. I want somebody who is involved in the team. And in our shop, we have a hybrid, you know, flat rate system. Basically, they have a they have a base pay a guarantee. So they are individually involved in how much production they produce individually. You know, and that's where the traditional flat rate, you know, I think got a bad name was guys were just worried about themselves. I don't, I'm not getting paid to help you out. You don't see that. There's nothing that makes me more proud, you know, as a business owner when, you know, it's five o'clock and a customer's waiting for a car and we're trying to wrap something up before it leaves. And you got three guys working on it to bust it out because we had a parts delay or something. And only one of those guys is getting paid for that job. That's culture, right? I mean, you can't, I don't know that you necessarily put a name on that. Like we're the wall of the, of the auto repair industry. No, it's like, it's a winning team culture. And I think that that starts with number one, knowing that that's what they want. And number two, it starts in the hiring process. Like you're just literally weeding people out. I mean, we can tell if we're going to bring somebody in for a personal interview in the first 30 seconds of the phone call, usually, you know, just by their personality. Have you changed the methodology of your interviewing, knowing what you know, the questions you're asking? Well, I think number one for me and Jason, you can answer this too, but we're selling. We know that when that technician that we've got in on a face-to-face, number one, we realize how how cool that is that we actually got somebody, you know what I mean, in front of us, right? That he that showed up. He showed up. Showed up on time, and you know what I mean. There's not any red flags right away. 
So I know that that guy that shows up, he's interviewing or she is interviewing me, our shop, as much as we are interviewing them. So it becomes a point of selling our culture, selling our opportunity to that person, just as they're selling us on them being the right fit for the job that we're trying to fill. That has definitely changed quite a bit where, you know, I think always we want to, you know, promote ourselves. But right now, what the buttons that we're pushing with them is our culture. We introduce them to everybody and everybody's friendly. You don't have the technician out there in the shop that's crushing the guy's hand and saying, yeah, you know, maybe not directly, but don't come work here because I'm the boss around here. You know? yeah. <laughs> Matt Fonslow did a great episode on uh, what technicians need to do when they're interviewing for a job. They need to go in there with their questions to interview the owner and rightfully have a really good resume to be able to turn over. And that would include all the training that they've ever done. When they're interviewing you, you're obviously looking for the kinds of questions that lay exactly into the survey results because you've got a home for them if they're asking the right questions. Yeah, normally, I mean, we look at five points, you know, in the individual, their like ability to communicate, their ability to like produce results, how well they are, how good they are as a team member. And in all these, you know, five points that we're looking at, um, instead of just asking, you know, very generalized questions, we're specifically targeting those areas to make sure that they that they can produce results and that they are good at working with the team. And sometimes just simply sending them out to meet the team without you walking around them and then asking the team, so what did you think? And the guy's like, he just said hi. Just taking it to that next level and really caring enough to find out about uh, the person, what they're looking for, and making sure it truly matches the shop. We also know by survey that we're in the ballpark. We're in the ballpark on pay. We're in the ballpark on benefits because we've surveyed what they expect. Medical, dental, paid time off is what they expect. So we have all those things ready. And as far as the pay goes, you know, the, the hourly wage that we're presenting is in the ballpark. I mean, we're not in left field. We're not, we're not bringing a master tech in and saying, yeah, we pay $32.50 an hour. Eh, that isn't going to fly. We're not there to try and sell him on, on coming to work for us for less than he knows he's worth. We've already accepted the fact that this is the range that we got to be in. And so when we're communicating to them, we're not trying to change their mind about something. The other thing that we do, and Jason does the same thing as us, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I showed you the graphs that we use, right, to manage this, the KPIs of the business. We can take them right up to the technician's graphs. So this is no baloney, right? How, much, how many hours do your guys get? Well, here's their graphs. This is why I'm hiring is because they're maxed out or we're replacing this guy who, you know, was only producing 20 hours a week. That's why we're looking. It gives it more credibility to what you're saying. It's not just words. It's actually, here's what we watch. And then we explain like, look, we're going to watch your numbers every single day, every single week. So that if we see things are going up, we want to know why they're going up. What kind of jobs were we giving you? Oh, you know, you like those diesel jobs. Well, we're going to give you more of those diesel. Our hours are going down. What's going on? Maybe they have a personal situation at home. You know, I mean, the good guys don't bring their problems to work, but you might see it in their production and see, so pull them aside and you're able to say, hey, you know, what's going on? How can I help you? You know, what's going on that is causing this? Is it our end? Is it something that we're doing that's causing the production to go down? Or is it something outside of the shop that maybe I can help you get resolved? 
So those are the times of things where I think when the, when the management, whether that's the owner or the senior executives in the business, when they're really speaking the technician's language, you know, and what they need and want to make sure that they're going to be successful. You go back to like, they're looking for opportunity. They want advancement. They want to see the future. The guy that I want, if you ask them, where do you see yourself in five years? They know where they want to be. And I want to show them that we're a vehicle to help them get there. What I'm hearing from you is the local one has to drive any decisions you make. You've got to reach out instead of saying, oh, look at what the techs want nationally. There's got to be some gap there, right, Jason? There really does. Uh, You know, because what's true in California might not be true here in Florida, right? And what people need and want there are are definitely going to be different than people here. So, you know, by doing that, like Jimmy said, you have the certainty that you're delivering exactly what's needed and wanted. So you're not selling them, trying to sell them, you know, something less. But at the same time, if you don't have the survey results, then there's always that question in your mind of like, is this enough? Will he take the job because it's not enough or, you know, whatever these questions are. So the survey literally sets everything kind of like at ease as far as, you know, recruiting and hiring and maintaining a team, you know, within your shop, because those truths locally are also going to be, you know, truths within your facility as well. Let's tease the audience a bit and cover some of these questions from your survey, uh, Jimmy. And what motivated you to choose the shop you are currently working for? Love that one. Yeah, it was the people in the environment. I mean, they felt good there. And if you were asking that question to a candidate or you had the right wording and someone replied, love the place you currently work at and why? Maybe that would be a great question to ask. You realize that it's not just about the money. Although when you ask them, you know, what goal did you feel you were going to achieve in taking your current job? The top one in all of our surveys was to make more money. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) So somebody who's making good money isn't going to go, you know, because they want to, uh, they're looking for a better environment without making the money. I mean, they go hand in hand, but absolutely. It's like, what's important to you? If you're sitting somebody down, what's important to you about this, about being a tech? And what's important to you about the chart? When I'm doing an interview, I'll be like, look, you got your choice of where you can go. I know that, you know, and I've got a choice because I've got a, I've got a good opportunity for somebody. So let's just talk man to man here. You know, what's important to you? What are you looking for in a, in a change in the, in the shop that you choose? Cause it can't just be about the money. And if they say all about the money, it all comes down to dollars. That's fine. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say that I wouldn't ever hire somebody like that, but I really want to dig in to make sure that that wasn't the only thing that was important to them. It's like some customers don't know what else to ask, but how much. And maybe some great technicians, maybe he's in a funk, something's going on at home. So he says, listen, uh, inflation's killing me. Wife uh, had to take a cut in her job. She went from full-time to part-time. And he's not willing to share all that information, but he says, I'm here because it's all about the money. I mean, that's his number one think. But if you can take him off of that, it kind of reminds me of, let's build this pyramid together. You got your side. I got my blocks over here. In the next hour, let's put a crowning top on this thing. And asking those thought-provoking questions questions like what was the last thing you had to teach yourself where they really like get to think about it and really caring enough to ask these types of questions and not just about like how much money do you want you know can you bill hours do you have toolbox and you've got a question on driving and mileage i thought was so interesting that the number one answer how far mileage or time are you willing to commute for your ideal job and your number one answer 40 percent was 20 to 40 
miles. That was one that shocked the heck out of me because I always had a rule, man. If they weren't within 20 minutes of the shop, maybe 30, I, I honestly wouldn't even call them. But, you know, Phoenix is one of those areas that we've had a lot of people move over from California. A one hour commute is not uncommon. So, you know, for them to take a job for the right job to, to commute like that, it's totally fine. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, in some areas, it's important. Like, I don't know what Jason's survey came back as, but some communities, like if you're in a small town, they might be used to driving an hour. We got a, a friend that we work with up in in, uh, in Vermont. You know, he's in a small town in, in um, St. Johnsbury, Vermont. And it's not uncommon. Jason's from up there originally. He knows. It's like, it's not uncommon for guys to drive two, three, four towns away to get a good job because there's a, the population is just not that big up there. Well, and now we've got, you know, people looking to relocate, you know, around the country as well. And noticing this a lot in Florida, you know, throughout the pandemic and after the pandemic, a lot of other states, you know, were making it really rough for people. And a lot of people were coming down here. So there's a lot of people, like we learned, looking for that shop environment. Well, they're also looking for, you know, a better environment for the rest of their life as well. So not being like afraid to try to pull some people from further away because there are people looking to work at good shops. Uh, Jason, let me ask you a question. Somebody is is ready to move out of one of these crazy northern states like I live in, and they do want to come to Florida. And it doesn't matter whatever state they want to live, but they, they, they want to go to Florida. Will you get something in your network that says, hey, I know a really great guy is looking for a job in, in this particular area? Do you see that the techs that are moving to Florida already have a job or not? Most of the feedback that we've gotten is they're like coming down to look for a job. They're going to interview and you know, several different spots and then go back. So they're trying to preset their job up before they make the move. I mean, it's smart. They're coming down, they're doing their research and looking around. Job before move. That's what I've seen a majority of, you know, people coming from away. And what do you see? Are they just knocking on a door? Are they they looking in Indeed? So really great technicians like to do their research. I think we could all agree on that, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a problem with a car, well, when they're looking for a job, they're doing their research, you know, checking out the website and reading all about the shop and all the reviews. And, you know, they're really doing their research. They're not just like, you know, knocking on the door, you know, are you looking for? And they're asked, those are the ones too that are asking those specific questions. But that's just what we've seen here in Florida. How many people looking to work for either one of your shops are doing a drive-by or a pull-up? Well, they it sure looks like you're busy. Busy, you know. That's the thing. Drive, first thing drive they by Jimmy's see. shop, and it's like you can't even see the shop. There's so many vehicles there. So I'm blown away, guys, by the health dental insurance answer from uh, what do you feel are the most important benefits your employer can provide? Is that because we're not paying attention to that as an industry? Well, they do it every year, but it was, I can't remember the last time I checked, it was like, I think it was 20%. You might even know this number, Carm. Oh, 20% of shops out there or less were offering health insurance benefits. You're right about the fact that there's not enough doing it. Let me say that in one of our podcasts that we produce in the Aftermarket Radio Network is Accountant Hunt Demarest. And Next week, he's putting out an episode on inflation. So it's probably going to be out by the time we publish this one, because we're, of course, recording it. He actually teaches you an economics lesson on inflation. And if you really want to learn about what inflation and interest rates and all that consumer price index does, it's not high level. It's not super heavy think, but it's, oh, wow, 
I didn't know how that worked and this factoring in over here. It's going to be a great episode. I, trust me, it's going to be one of the most favorites, I think, on the network. But he talked about if we're not paying attention to what we're doing with our labor rates and also feeling the pain of our own people. So he he brought that that whole factor of margin and labor rates and taking care of your people. My point is, what a perfect time to get the labor rate Right. Not just increase it by eight and a half or 9%, but to get it right and to look at that rightness and pour that into benefits so that your retention here, you guys are picky. I don't even want to hire these kinds of people because they've got to fit into my culture. So precious to us. And you're willing to pay for it because the profitability of the company shows. Hunt says in the episode, These prices aren't going away no matter what happens. Housing may flux a little bit. Car pricing is is interesting. He brought that thing up. But even if we do go into a recession thing, we're kind of a recession-proof industry. People aren't going to be buying cars. They're going to want to fix them. Well, you can't fix them unless you have people. What is your shop missing out on by not being able to hire that guy? And we all have a little bit of resistance on, you know, the change of how much we're going to have to pay. And the wages are going, they're going up. You know, my argument is, is that until we get up to a point where a technician's making as much as an electrician, a plumber, even a programmer, a computer programmer, we're going to be going up, up, up because we got to attract the young guys and the older ones, the experienced ones, they're going to demand that wage. But if you take that, and you go, each technician can produce forty, fifty thousand dollars a month in revenue. And most shops right now are busy, right? I mean, they're busy. It's an unbelievable time right now in our industry. It really is unprecedented. It's something that we've never seen before. The perfect storm of high interest rates, you know, high costs of replacement for new and used cars, ridiculous stuff, you know, fear people don't don't want to take on that long-term expense. Okay, so you got to pay a guy forty-five or fifty dollars an hour. Like in my area, a big city, not a rural area, they're less, but still going up $10, $15 an hour. What are you missing out on by not hiring that guy and just figuring out the pricing that you need to be at in order to afford them? That's the point. It's like it's yeah. you look at the return on investment, even on the difference that you have to pay, you're still way ahead, way ahead. Because you're already paying your bills. You know, you're already paying your bills. So most of that's going to the bottom line, the profit on that that additional guy, you know, not to mention that you can turn work around faster. You have better, more confidence in get, making sure it's done right the first time when you're hiring those top quality guys. There's so many benefits to doing it. And we got to get over the hump of that resistance to the change, I think. And when you actually talk to the technicians through the surveys, like what we've done, it was very real to me that, you know, in our area, 40% figured technicians should be making 80 plus thousand a year. That's a good majority. I mean, a survey that has that many people saying yes, this much. We see and hear the resistance from people, not from the ones who come on the show and says, oh, my God, I was crazy. I should have done this years ago. No one noticed. And, you know, and someone said I should go up $10 and someone convinced me to go up 20 and nothing happened except I got in a position of strength. I think of the funnel. And Jimmy, you brought up a great point and I want to repeat it. I brought on a new person, a quality individual, someone to join the team and help us build the strength of our company and to get, you know, to get wider in, in, in the services that we perform. And I did it by increasing my labor rate. And so my labor rate, more people comes in the funnel and out the bottom of the funnel comes lots of success, sustainable profits to allow you to do it 
again someday. And I think it's short-sighted thinking. It's almost like the funnel's reversed and that little tiny hole at the top is, I won't let anything more than, you know, $3 go in and hopefully something comes out the bottom. So thank you for motivating my think about this funnel and the repeatableness That's not a good word. I don't think that exists. But the repeatability of sustainable profits can only come. And oh, by the way, let me just mention in Hunt's episode, he says, of course, if parts are costing you more and you're still using your normal price matrix, will the dollars of profit go up? And what do you pay bills with? You pay bills with dollars of profit. Now, I know everything else in the cost section of your P&L is going up. And if it's not, then you're crazy to think that it isn't. But everything's going up. It is. And and here's the argument too. If you're a shop owner and you're looking at this, you're going, okay, well, my budget on this guy is $40 an hour. I'm not paying any more than $40 an hour. (laughs) And the question that I have to them is, okay, what do you think would be easier to do? Find that guy that you need, keep looking to find that guy that's going to fit your need for 40 or less, or raise your rates just a little bit to cover that guy that you need for 40 or more. And then on top of that, Spend your time focusing on delivering better service, faster service, better marketing, and just wow the heck out of the customers with your service so that they don't even think about the $5 or $10 more an hour you just charge them because they don't care. The only time the customer cares about the labor rate is when we screw up. When we make a mistake, then it becomes an issue. If their attention's not on anything but the fact that they got great service, their car's fixed, they don't have to go out and buy a new $50,000 SUV, you did it timely, you were in good communication with them, you have a good warranty, are they worried about that you went from $140 to $150 an hour on a three-hour ticket? They don't care. So what do you want to spend your time on? I think the answer is you cannot survey a technician and find out in your marketplace what they need and what they want, what their particulars are, what environment they want to work in. When the results come back and you say, can't do this. You take the results and that's where the surveys are so important. Marketing companies have a tough deal because, you know, these national marketing companies, they go in and they want to put a marketing piece together that's going to fit every, every environment. And it doesn't work like that. You know, Cultures are different. Emotions are different. You know, what is real is different. So what you're communicating there is, is got to be surveyed. Same thing with, with employment ads mm-hmm. and what you're promoting. We use these exact things that we're showing you, you know, from our surveys in our ads. It's exactly what we're communicating to them. In order to get the real buttons that are going to start pulling the people and you got to know the specifics. And, and again, there's a few things that are probably going to be similar Culture is definitely going to be one of them. The training environments is probably going to be. But when you get into the to the nitty gritty of pay, benefits might be one that's different, you know, in different areas. You want to do your own surveys on those. Absolutely. So let's make a pact right here between all of us. If you raise your labor rate by X, please don't make it a dollar or two. Make it at least a double digit number, you know, 10, 15, 12, 20. Pick a number, but don't make it single digit number. Look at that extra profit. And again, if Ratchet and Wrench said it was 20% based on a national survey on benefits, why don't you use that number to improve the benefits of your team? Period. That's it. Just done. Yeah. And then watch other things that'll happen. Number one, your customers won't notice. You'll take some of the profit based on what you know, put it on a yellow pad, take a calculator, an Excel spreadsheet, and look at the hours you sell per month, per year. You can figure out what's coming in and shop for a benefit program, if nothing more. 
Your people need it and they're hurting. And your local survey says, got to have it. So you'll never grow hire great talent without it. To me, there's the answer. You're raising your rates. You know, the argument may be, so oh, the owners want to, wants to make more money. Yeah, that's true. We do want to make more money. But when you show them that you're actually investing that profit back into the company, back into the benefits, back into the, the culture of the shop, the training, the equipment, the outings, you know what I mean? Going to a training and paying for it, buying them dinner. You know what I mean? Like the things that make your shop special, you can only do it if you're making enough money. If you don't, you, you might be able to do it, but you're dipping into what you need to put away in reserves in your retirement. Jason, you created something called FASTT, the Florida Automotive Service Technician Training. It's a, is it a group on Facebook? It is a group on Facebook. And this survey, like I said, is so powerful. You know, other people are interested in doing it. You know, Jimmy and I are going to share it with whoever's interested. But it's built this amazing fire under me when I actually knew what was going on in the area. I was like, oh, okay, now I know. And so instead of like wondering about it, should I do this or should I do this? All of a sudden I knew. One of the questions that we asked was who provides the best support and leadership for you as a technician? And the answer, like, it shook me. 20% was shop management, okay? So the the management of the shop is providing the best support and leadership to the technicians. But 18, almost 19% of those technicians said that there was nobody there. Okay, think about that, to support them as technicians. I saw that result and I was really just, looking at that going, wow. And that's when I made the decision that I was just going to like step into that space and really take full responsibility for creating something that provided the support that technicians needed within, you know, my area in the state of Florida. And so came up with the idea for FAST. And so what we're doing here is bringing technicians, trainers, and shop owners together for the purpose of fixing this problem. So, you know, we talk about just raising the labor rate and, you know, giving back to our staff, but it's like, it's so hard for shop owners to set aside valuable production time to get the training done. It can be expensive. So what we've done is in coordination with other shops and other trainers, I've been hosting and we're getting ready to another shop owner is getting ready to host it. I know Jimmy has done a similar program at his shop we're bringing in, first time we brought in Brandon Steckler, and then just put the word out there to the rest of Florida. If you're a technician and you want to get training, we have training available. There's no cost. So all these technicians from all over Florida drove to the shop and got this amazing training that he put on. John Foro just did one. And really, it's going to take uh, shop owners charging the appropriate amount of money to not only pay the technicians, but to fix this training issue that we have in our industry. So through this program with multiple shops, my vision is that eventually we have shops all over the country that are putting on these training events where technicians can come from all over at no cost. Because the shop is paying for it. Right. And so if I'm paying for it this month and then a shop owner down the street from me is going to do it He's going to do it a couple months from now. Eventually, we have training happening every Saturday across the state of Florida at no cost to help the technicians because, you know, one of the results was that they wanted to increase their skills or ability, Mm -hmm. right? And the fact that no one is there, like we need to take more responsibility as shop owners to make sure 
that we're not just getting the training to our technicians, but to others as well. And by doing that, these other technicians come into our shop and they see the environment that the shop is. They're thinking about the shop that they work at and this shop. We're not you know, promoting to them the shop, but it's great for all these technicians to come in and see that there is a standard, you know, and that things can be done a certain way and that the environment can be clean and all this stuff. And what that does is it, it's going to create this brush fire across our industry. It's going to get technicians you know, demanding more training and demanding more pay and, and producing results. There's something else that's really cool about this. Some I'm really proud for Jason and what he's done is that not only did he take responsibility for what he saw, he's like, there's no, there's no leaders in this, in this industry. You know, I had, I had surveyed, I just, mine says no conclusive answers. People said snap on, you know what I mean? It was like nothing, but Jason did this. He put this organization, he's an entrepreneur. He knows how to organize but then he took his lead tech who moved down from the Northeast with him when he opened his shop in Florida and put Jason Labonte in charge of that group. Now he's got what used to be a lead technician has now turned into an executive. He's networking with all these other shop foremans and shop owners all over Florida. He was out at Vision and hooked mm-hmm. up with my, right. my service manager, right? And they were talking shop. But what's happening is, you know, again, another one of these these items, like what's the opportunity in the industry? And Jason's done that with his shop is that, look, you can you can move up the ranks. You, you went from lead tech, shop foreman, manager. Now I'm running an organization of other shop owners and technicians bringing in the top trainers. The next level to that is going to be that Jason, his 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 uh, his foreman is going to be the trainer. And he'll bring in other technicians in the area that become trainers. Now, you take a guy that's been doing something for 20, 30 years, and they have the personality. Not everybody's going to do this, right? But some people have that personality, and they could, if you gave them the content, say, I want you to talk to them about the basics of PicoScope, that they could get up there and, and, and do the training. And now it's the peer-to-peer. It's the technicians te- teaching other technicians. Because... Quite honestly, you know, we have um, Adam Robertson who, who works with, uh, is it Gary Roberts? Oh, I know who you mean. Gary Smith? Gary Smith. Yeah, he's down He's down in the Keys, right? He moved down from, I think, Washington area. But anyhow, like how many of those guys are that? These guys are booked out every day doing something. We got to start building people that can train the next generation of technicians. They have free training. How the hell does that happen? I mean, I can see the reverberation from the audience. Listen, the top 20% in our industry, they get it. They know it. They've got to pay for training. They do. They always will. But then there's that next group where the frustrated technicians are that I got to pay for everything. I got to pay for every tool, every, everything that gets me my job. I'm spending like a house mortgage or a huge rent just keeping myself alive with, with training and tools. So part of that labor rate is not only the benefits, but it is to pay for training. And to your point, guys, it's coming at us so fast, so furious that if we don't train, like you say, every weekend, there's something for somebody to come to training. We're going to lose. You guys are too deep in it. You're too smart. You're, you're, too, you're too aggressive to hide behind all these things that we cannot take for granted. We cannot take for granted. Pay benefits and add training to that. The surveys say, got to have training. Got to have training. That's what they want. Thank you for bringing this whole thing to us. I appreciate that. We got to talk about where we can get our hands on this survey. Uh, winningautoshops.com. That's the website for your training, right, Jimmy? 
Yep. All they do is go there. You'll see the the link. There's the the customer surveys there. Just they just have to put their information in because it has to be emailed to them because it's a whole program that Jason and I put together. And it's literally down to the point of because the question is, oh, I'm not letting my technicians fill out a survey. They're gonna somebody's gonna steal them. We made it so that the technicians are completely anonymous. Yep. The only way we knew how to give them the gift cards was through a raffle ticket. Literally, we got it down to that fine detail. Yep. We definitely want to share this information because, again, you have the via to get the information nationwide out. We don't. But the other thing I love about it is if you could print the postcard, put a QR code to a link to your survey from Google Forms, which is free and it's, and it's easy then you can recruit the people around you to help you get that local flavor. And I love it. We have an insurance rep that comes around to check on vehicles that are broken that have, you know, insurance. So he goes to all these shops and that was another line that I used. I just wanted to bring that up as, uh, you know, the insurance uh, inspector guy, we'll call him that. And we have that detail, Carm. And like literally like, okay, here's where you go to get the QR code. Here's what you do to take the Google form. You know what I mean? Like it's all set up so that it's pretty plug and play. I love it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Thank you for the inspiration of uh, maybe a month ago to want to have this episode. I think this was extremely valuable. We covered a lot of great topics. Hopefully we've motivated some people in our industry uh, to get off of top dead center and do something. Uh, this whole survey says technician survey thing. Love you guys and, and what you're doing together. Jimmy Aluria, 3A Automotive Phoenix, Arizona, and Jason Stretch from Legendary Automotive and Truck Service, Fort Myers, Florida. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Carm. Thanks Thank for everything you. you guys do. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 